Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Hey, if you have your Bibles today, will you open up to Romans chapter 4? Romans chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the end of chapter 4, verse 25, the very end of chapter 4. And then we're going to be looking at the beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Okay, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And I just want to read the passage, take time to pray and settle our hearts and get our hearts and minds right for the word of God. And this is what it says, end of Romans chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5. It says this. It says, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's going to be a key phrase. He was raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could come together today to worship our Savior, King Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was put in a tomb, but he didn't stay in a tomb. He rose to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we celebrate the hope that we have in him. We celebrate the blessings that flow from the death and resurrection of Christ. And Heavenly Father, I pray that every single person today would just surrender our hearts to you, open our hearts to you, what, to hear what, not what I have to say, but what you have to say through your word. God, we love you. We honor you. We praise you. We worship you. And we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we should have died. He rose again, and he's coming back. And so, God, I pray that we would be able to focus on you for the next few minutes. God, speak to us powerfully through your word, through your spirit. In your holy name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Here is the title for my message today, and it's in a form of a question. The question is, how can I be right with God? How can I be right with God? Some of you are probably thinking, what in the world does this question have to do with the resurrection? Like, what does this question on Easter Sunday have to do with the resurrection of Christ? Well, I got to tell you this, that it has everything to do with this question. The fact that Jesus rose again has everything to do with the answer to this question, how can I be right with God? You see, as a pastor over some time now, I've uh, just had many, many spiritual conversations with believers, with people maybe who don't follow Jesus. 
And so we have these conversations that can quickly pick out how they believe and what they believe about being right with God. A lot of, I'll just give you a few. A lot of people believe that, hey, I'm a good person, or I need to be a good person to be right with God. If I'm a good person and I don't do bad things, I'm not killing anybody, I'm not stealing, I'm just a good person, then I could be right with God. Some people say it's good works, making this world a better place. If I work hard enough and do good deeds, then I'm just going to be right with God. Some people actually believe that they don't need to do anything to get right with God. God loves me perfectly. I don't need to change. I don't need to do anything. I am just perfectly fine, and God loves me just the way I am. Some people say, hey, I'm just trying to obey the the law. I'm just trying to obey the Bible as much as I can, try to follow Jesus and do exactly what he says, every single little thing to a T. And the list goes on and on, but those are just some of the more common ways that people believe that they can get right with God. So here's my goal for this Easter Sunday. My goal is this, to answer two questions. First question, how can I be right with God? Not according to my opinion, not according to what people say, but what does the scripture say about how I can truly be right with God? The second question that I want to answer is this. Okay, if I'm right with God, if if we're right with God, then what are the benefits or what are the blessings that are going to flow from a right relationship with God. And I promise you, the resurrection has everything to do with both of those questions. Are we cool with that? Are we good with that? All right, amen. I got one amen. All I need is one. Come on. So verse 24 says this. I'm going to read it again. It says, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, crucifixion, notice this, and raised, raised for our justification. Jesus was raised from the dead, from the grave for our justification. Now that's a big theological word. What does that really mean? What is justification? Justification is actually a legal word, like a courtroom type word. Justification is this. It's an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us. Therefore, God declares us righteous. That's what justification means, that we are considered no longer guilty where our sins are forgiven. We have Christ's righteousness that was credited to us. And when God sees us, He sees us as righteous. Let me give you a picture because I'm more of a picture guy. Picture this. It's a courtroom. We're in a courtroom. There's a judge, God the Father. And then there's me, Johnny, sitting there before him. My attorney is next to me, and I am guilty. Like, I am completely guilty, okay, Come, uh, there's, a, there's a witness that takes the stand. His name is Satan. The scriptures actually say that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Like he's the accuser of us. And so as I stand there before this judge, guilty, 
Satan begins to take out my criminal rap sheet. Look how many times Johnny has messed up. Look at all his sins. Look at this, look at that, look at that. And you know what? I'm guilty. It's true. Everything he said about me is true. I'm 100% without a doubt guilty. So the bailiff puts me in handcuffs, handcuffs. He's about to take me out of the courtroom when my defense attorney, Jesus, says, hold on a second. Jesus approaches the judge. The judge is his father. And he says, I love Johnny. Can I trade places with him? Can I be his substitute? The judge says, absolutely you can. The bailiff stops, takes off my handcuffs, he goes over to Jesus, puts the handcuffs on Jesus. The bailiff goes and gets Jesus, and he takes him out and escorts him out of the courtroom. And now I'm standing before the judge, and he takes his gavel, and he slams it, and he says, not guilty. That is justification. We are, he was raised so that we can be declared not guilty, forgiven, raised for our justification. Now, here's the question. How can we be justified? How can we be declared not guilty? The scripture says that in Romans chapter 3, very simple and clear, it says, for we hold that one is justified by what? By faith apart from works of the law. One is justified by faith, not by works. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to strive for it. The resurrection of Jesus secured our justification, and those who place their faith in Jesus are forgiven, declared not guilty. But not only that, the righteousness of Christ is now imputed into our lives. So when the Father sees us, he doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. Anyone thankful for that this morning? It's not by works. It's not by being a good person. There will not be one single person in heaven that can boast about getting to heaven by their works. Salvation has been by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. It has always been that way and it always will continue to be that way. So how can we be right with God? Faith, faith, and it's saving faith. Let me just be very clear on what I mean by faith. Saving faith is a lot different than belief. You see, just believing in Jesus is a lot different than faith and biblical faith. Biblical faith is this uh, wholehearted trust and commitment to God. That's what faith is. Uh, but to, like when we think of belief, we're just, okay, I believe, I acknowledge that, that, that he died. I, it's, it's a mental agreement. It's mental acknowledgement. But biblical faith, man, it is a wholehearted trust, commitment, follow after Jesus, turning from my, my ways and pursuing Jesus. That is what faith is, and we are justified by faith. So how can we be made right with God? By faith. Jesus rose to secure our justification, 
And when we place our faith in him, we have, we're, we're, we're right with God. It's always been by faith. Now, as I said, two questions, right? So now that you know how we can be right with God, it's always been by faith, saving faith. What are the blessings and benefits that flow from being in a right relationship with God? Man, honestly, church, I got to tell you that this is a bunch of good news is coming your way. If you're taking notes, there's three main benefits. There's many, but there's three just in the passages that we read. The first is this. It's peace with God. The first benefit and blessing of being right with God is having peace with God. Romans chapter 5, with the verse we just read, says this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there is that justification by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is through Christ. Everything. Everything is by faith through Christ. It's always been that way. But we have peace with God. And to have peace with God means this. It means to be in a relationship with God in which all the hostility between God and man caused by sin has been removed. That's what that means. That there's no more hostility between God the creator and man his creation. There's no more hostility between us. All the stuff that sin has caused and the division that has caused us, between, uh, the division between us and God is completely gone. It's completely gone. You see, peace with God is not a feeling. It's not. It's a fact. Peace with God is more than an inner tranquility or a subjective feeling. Peace with God is an objective reality. It's this reality, church, and hold on to this. It is the reality that the justified person is no longer tormented by questions of his or her relationship with God arising from the fact that he or she is a sinner. You don't have to question your relationship with God because you have peace with God. You never have to question whether you're okay with him or keep guessing, am I right with God today? I don't know. You don't have to question that anymore. It's the reality, this is great, it's the reality that the justified person is no longer condemned by their past, sinfulness, but can live in freedom and peace in the present. It, that's, that's what peace with God is. It's, it's two parties that were against each other find reconciliation. Now, if justification and being right with God gets us peace with God, this is so important. What did we have before? If placing our faith in the risen Savior makes us right with God, the Father, what was our standing before God, before placing our faith? Let me read it to you in Romans chapter 5, just a few verses after our main text. It says this, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? From the wrath of of God. For if while we were what? Enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Before peace with God, there was war with God. I know it doesn't get preached a lot. It doesn't. But before there was peace, there was wrath with God. The scripture clearly says, the apostle Paul says that there was 
that we were enemies of God, that we were at war with God. That's why we can go from war to peace. Because there was no peace before. There was condemnation and judgment and wrath. But Jesus rose again to secure our justification that those who place their faith in him are no longer under wrath, are no longer enemies of God, but now have peace with God. Peace with God is a blessing. The war is over. Peace with God means there's no more war between us and God. The question is, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Or or do you find yourself constantly questioning whether you are right with God? Constantly guessing. Am I in? Am I out? How can I relate to him? How can I not? Does he love me? Does he love me not? Is it possible that the reason why you question whether you're right with God is because you might have the wrong idea about how to get right with God. Maybe you're here in this room today and, and you're, you think that because you're a good person, you're going to get right with God. If you're good enough. Well, let me ask you this, just to, just, to, just to allow you to think a little bit. If you think you're good enough or if you think you've got to strive to be good enough, How good enough do you have to be? What is the standard of good? Good compared to who? Good compared to someone like Hitler, someone who's murdered a lot of people? Or good compared to God? A holy and perfect and righteous and pure God. What's your standard of good? Romans chapter 3 actually says that there's no one good, not one. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we needed Jesus to be raised from the dead. Maybe, maybe for you it's works. If I just work and do good, then I'm going to be right with God. Let me ask you this. How many works do you need to get right with God? Like, how do you know when you have had enough works to get right with God? Or are you hoping that one day when you get in front of God, that the scales tip in your favor? Man, that's exhausting. That's not freedom. Maybe that's why you question. Maybe that's why you question your your peace with God. Let me tell you this. Let me give you some good news. Peace with God is available through the Son of God. Peace with God, if you want peace with God, it's available right now. It's instant. You don't have to work for it. That's the good news of the gospel. You, never, you no longer have to guess with your, whether you're right with God. You no longer have to question whether you're at peace with God. The peace of God is available, or peace with God is available through the Son of God. Let me give you some more good news. Peace with God results in the peace of God. That's very different. Peace with God, a reconciled relationship, results in the peace of God in our lives. 
That's good news. John 14, 27 says this, peace I leave with you. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus gives us peace, the peace of God, not like the world gives. You see, the world's peace depends on resources, financial resources, material resources. The peace of God depends on a relationship with the risen king. The world's peace um, uh, depends on personal ability. Biblical peace depends on the ability of Christ. And he's able to do far more than we can think and imagine. The world's peace is uncertain. It's a hope for, I hope I get peace. A biblical peace, true peace, peace is certain. It's a promise of God that he gives us that peace. World peace, worldly peace is, is something you have to work for. It's something that you have to earn. Biblical peace, though, it's something that's given. We receive it. World peace, worldly peace, it's something that's temporary. It only lasts when things are good. Biblical peace is eternal. We always have. We always, always have it. So peace with God results in the peace of God in our lives. Let me tell you a story. There was a, a, a contest. This man decided to do a contest on the perfect picture of peace. And he said, if you're an artist, I want you to draw a perfect picture of peace. Draw whatever you want. And so they, a bunch of hundreds and hundreds of artists drew pictures of peace. Many, many artists drew like mountains and, and sunsets and the beach, uh, you know, uh, uh, green pastures. They drew those types of images, many of them. And so finally the day came to reveal the winner of this contest, the perfect picture of peace. And there was this one picture there, and it was covered. And so everyone's just waiting for the uncovering of this picture, this perfect picture of peace. And so finally, a guy goes up there, and he gets hold of this, this curtain that was uh, over the painting, and he removes it. And everybody sees the perfect picture of peace. And everyone begins to gasp, like, what is going on? And the reason why they gasped is because it was actually a picture of a storm. There was thunder and there was lightning, and, and there was rain, and, and it's on a mountain, and you can see and, uh, the, the trees just kind of bending. And everyone is like, what in the world? That is not peace. That is a storm. But what people failed to see was that right in the middle of the picture, there was a mom bird with her little birdies forming a nest in this little cave. True peace does not mean the absence of storms in our life, but rest in the middle of the storms of life. And if you have peace with God, you have the peace of God in your life. Philippians chapter four, six this, says this, do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is available to you today. Peace with God and the peace of God in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your storms, in the midst of everything that you're going through. Number two, the second blessing is access to God. Look at verse two. It says this, that through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through Jesus, by faith, we now have access to God, something we didn't have before. This word access here has this idea of introduction, introduction to the king or to royalty or to majesty or to someone from the elite class through the favor of another. That's what this word means, introduction or access. A commoner approaching the king, which would never happen unless there was a middleman introducing the commoner to the king. We have access to God because of Jesus, because we're justified, because of the resurrection. You see, in biblical times, the Jewish person didn't have access to the presence of God. Did you know that? The Jewish person was kept from the presence of God by this curtain in the temple. They couldn't enter it. It was only a priest that could enter it once a year. The Gentile person or the non-Jewish person in biblical times couldn't even get into the temple. There was a wall that separated the the Gentile person from the temple. And there was actually a rule that if the Gentile person would cross the wall, trying to get into the temple, trying to get into the presence of God, that they would actually kill that person. So both Jewish person and the Gentile person, all of humanity was kept from the presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross and when Jesus rose again, he gave us access to God. So those who place their faith in Jesus, those who are justified, those who have been made right with God, now have access to him 24-7. Because Jesus decided to die on the cross, be raised again to life. And it's through Jesus, through the mediator. He's our middleman. He's our connection to the Father. When I was a young adult, I started hanging out with this guy named Jose. And, uh, and Jose was a super cool guy. And uh, I quickly realized that uh, Jose's looking at me right now, so I gotta be careful. Uh, I quickly realized that Jose had a cute older sister. And uh, so, so thankfully, over time, Jose introduced me to royalty. He introduced me to majesty, and she is now my wife. And uh, so he, he was my middleman to, to the queen, right, to the queen of my life. And so he was, he was the middleman. So if, if you're single, if you're single, just use their family. That's what they're for, right? Just, just giving you a tip there. He, I'm a commoner. He introduced me to royalty. We, we, all, we all need that middle person to get us to God. Every single one of us. And it's Jesus. He's our middle guy. Through him we have access. Listen, church. We have access to the Father not by what we do, but by who we know. It's not what you do. It's who you know. You don't need a pastor to get you to God. I don't have special privileges. I'm just like you. You don't need a priest 
You don't need a religious leader. All you need is faith in Christ to get you access to God. Your works, my works, can't get us a seat at the table. It is only through faith in God that we have access to a heavenly Father who loves us and who cares about us. When I was younger, I used to have these really, really bad nightmares. And I remember just having these nightmares that felt so real. I would, I would wake up and there, I just, there was this like monster in the corner of my wall. I'm not even kidding you, just thinking about it kind of triggers some stuff. But I would, I would get so scared as a child. I would just get so, so scared. And I would, I would hop out of bed and I would run to my parents' room and their door was always open and I would jump in there with them or I would wake them up, right? Like, like I'm scared, I'm freaking out. They would comfort me and, and they, they, would, they, would, they would love on me. They would pray for me every single time. I'm so glad that's over. That was about three years ago. I'm so glad. I'm so, so glad that's over. I'm growing up. You see, I didn't ha- when I had that nightmare, when things were going terribly wrong at night, I didn't have to go to my parents' room and say, Mom, Dad, can I come in? I'm scared. Their, their door was never locked. It was open. And so we have a heavenly Father that when we can just approach with confidence, Hebrews chapter 4, 16, let us with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can approach our heavenly father with confidence. He has an open door policy. He never locks his door. We can approach him with confidence. Not thinking that he's going to condemn us or guilt us or, or, or treat us different or bring up our past or treat us with shame. But we can approach him with great confidence and draw near to him when we feel like he's far away. And what does he do? He pours out mercy and grace and help in the time of need. In the storms of life, in the trials and the temptations, our heavenly father loves us. And he pours out blessing and grace and mercy and favor, provision, because we have access to him. 24 access. We're never denied that access. But it is only for those who place their faith in Jesus who are justified because of the resurrection. Last point, number three, hope in God. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the end of verse two. What is the hope of the glory of God? It is this. It refers to the promise that those who are justified, right with God, not guilty, will be glorified and perfected in the age to come. Those who are justified will experience the glory and presence of God for all of eternity in a perfect state. Essentially, it's heaven with God forever. No more pain, no more sin. No more temptation, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more loneliness, no more cancer, no more, no more, no more. Heaven with God. That is the future hope of those who place their faith in Jesus. For those who are in Christ, there's hope beyond this world. There's hope beyond what we see. 
there is hope beyond our last breath. You see, this word hope, biblical hope, is a lot different than our English word hope. The New Testament idea of hope contains no uncertainty. It speaks of something that is certain, completely certain. It's, it's, it's the assurance of something not yet fully experienced, but it's certain. While worldly hope is doubt or wishful thinking. Let me give you an example of cultural hope. I hope my company does well. There's no certainty in that. It's just hope. I hope it does, right? I hope he isn't mad at me, right? Or I hope she isn't mad at me, right? I say that quite a bit at my house. I mess up all the time, right? I hope, I hope. Actually, that's very certain. She's, she's mad at me. I sure hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, right? I sure hope my team wins, right? I sure hope the, the pastor's message is short. Keep hoping, right? Keep hoping. Keep hoping. It ain't. That, that's hope. Let me, let me give you a story of Christian hope, of real biblical hope. When I was a, a kid, I asked my parents for a bike for Christmas. And my parents, you got to know my parents, if they said they were going to do something, they would do it. Like, I never questioned my parents. If they said they were going to do something, if, if I asked for a bike and they said, we're going to get you a bike for Christmas, they're going to give me a bike for Christmas. And so I hoped for a bike, not because I was wondering whether I was going to get the bike or not, but, but I hoped in, in this bike for Christmas because it was still two months away. And I hoped with, 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 with anticipation or expectation, not whether I was going to get the bike or not, but I hoped with this anticipation that it was a guarantee. It was something I didn't have yet, but I knew for sure I was going to get. That's biblical hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's a guarantee. It's for certain. Why? Because biblical hope, a believer's hope, is rooted in the character of God who never breaks his promises. He is faithful. He was faithful yesterday. He's faithful today, and he's going to continue to be faithful. And our hope is not in a God who changes with the wind. Our hope is not a God who, who breaks his promises. Our hope is in a God who is a covenant-keeping God faithful to keep his promise. And so we have hope because Jesus rose again, secured our justification. We place our faith in him. We have peace with God. We have access to God. And we have hope for tomorrow. You see, for a believer, for those who are right with God, this earth is not our home. We're just passing by, baby. We're just passing by. We're on to bigger and better things. Yes, we live here in the present, but we hope for something guaranteed in the future, something much better. And so because Christ was raised from the grave, we have hope beyond our grave. We have hope beyond when we take our last breath. That's why Paul can say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I die, I just gain Christ. We have hope. And we not only have hope for the future, we have hope for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, we, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So not only does the believer have hope for the future, the believer has hope for today. That He will deliver you today. That He will come through for you today. 
that he will provide for you today, that he will strengthen you today. We have hope. So in sum, how are we made right with God? Through faith in Jesus, who was raised for our justification. Jesus rose again, secured our justification, and those who place their faith in him are now right with God. And what are the blessings that flow from that? Peace with God, access to God, and hope in God because of the resurrection. Believers, I want to talk to two different people as I end. Believers, may this serve as a reminder to you today. May this serve as a reminder of the faith that you placed in Jesus at one point in your life. May it serve as a reminder that you are not guilty, that you are forgiven once and for all. You don't have to continue to be working out. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're not guilty. May it serve as a reminder, believer, that you have peace with God, that you once were an enemy of God. And now the scripture, because you place your faith in him, calls you a friend of God. The scripture says that at one point, we were children of wrath. But when we place our faith in the risen king, we now become children of God. You have peace with God. May it serve as a reminder that you have access to God, believer. Your dad waits with wide open arms for you, believer. Don't forget that. You don't have to get all your life straight, your ducks in a row. Your father loves you just the way you are. Remember, he doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as righteous because you have the righteousness of Christ. May this service reminder of the hope you have in God. No matter what happens in your life today, you have hope and glory and perfection waiting one day in the age to come. This place is not our final destination. This place is not our home. Maybe there's some of you in here who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who don't have saving faith in Christ, true saving faith, not belief, saving faith. I want to circle back to the courtroom scene. It is no longer me before the judge guilty. I place my faith in Christ. I realized at one point, and by the way, I'm telling you this as a pastor, but I haven't always been a pastor. I haven't always been a Christian. At one point, I was too under the wrath of God. At one point, too, I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And I tell you this from that position that God, that God changed my life. And so it's no longer me standing before the judge, guilty. It's you. 
you're before the judge and you're guilty. Satan takes out your rap sheet. He says, look at everything this person has done. And he begins to accuse you. And you're guilty. Like you're guilty. The bailiff begins to take you away. Your defense attorney, Jesus, says, stop. He approaches the judge and says, can I be his substitute? Can I be her substitute? He says, yes. The bailiff brings you back. Jesus looks at you and says, I want to offer you forgiveness. I loved you so much that I was willing to be crucified for you. I want to offer you forgiveness. I want to offer you justification. I want to be your substitute. I want to give you peace with God so you can experience the, the, the peace of God. I want to give you peace with God. I want to give you access to God. I want to give you hope. I want to give you joy, not happiness, joy, true joy, everlasting joy. I want to give you eternal life. I want to give you abundant life. I want to give you all of these things, he says. Let me ask you a question willing to put your faith in me? Are you willing to follow after me? So, what's your answer? What's your answer? I hope and pray that you would place your faith in Jesus if you don't know him. It's available. It's free. You don't have to earn it. I hope and pray you would place your faith in Christ. To turn from your sin. Acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. Because I'm telling you, he changes everything. You stand with me as I pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you were raised for our justification. That you were raised to life so that we could be declared not guilty. That you were raised to life so that your righteousness, Jesus, has been overflowed upon our life. Through the resurrection, we now have peace with God, access to our Heavenly Father, and hope, everlasting hope. So God, I pray that you would draw people to yourself today through the power of your Spirit. that the tomb is empty so that our life can be full, full of joy, full of hope, full of peace, full of healing from our brokenness.
And your word says, God, that if anyone comes to you, you will never reject them. And you stand with arms wide open. God, we give you the glory. We give you the praise because you are worthy to be worshiped. You're the King of kings and you're the Lord of lords and there's no one like you. You conquered the grave. You silenced sin. You defeated Satan. And we have that hope, an everlasting hope in you, Christ Jesus, for those who place their faith in you. We honor you. We thank you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.